0: Welcome to Northern Ninth Story Exchange. Today, we will be turning to the Kaiserreich universe. Kaiserreich is an in-depth alternate history set in a world where Germany was victorious in World War I, seizing territory from Russia and imposing oppressive demands for payment on the Allies. As a result, New and dangerous political movements began in Britain and France. Our two stories today will take part in Britain, where a revolutionary movement is looking to seize control. The year is 1925, and the revolution has begun. Revolutionary provocateur, and soon-to-be powerful leader of the Union of Britain, Oswald Mosley, has taken to the streets of England, searching... For workers to join in the cause of syndicalism. Story 1 A Change of Seasons by user CD Aquara. Harold! a voice screamed from the street below. Harold! it screamed again, and with even more intensity. Come outside, and for God's sake, there's a bloody revolution on! Harold didn't care, though. It was early spring, which in the north of England didn't mean particularly pleasant weather. He was cold indoors. There was no way he was going outside. Oh, Harold! The front door opened, lighting up the front room. There was now a woman in the doorway. Late thirties, blonde curls, working-class dress and she looked in on her home with her son sitting down, looking dejected. Harold, if you don't come outside, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Harold sympathized with the strikers. He struggled with the knowledge of his dad's death in the war when he was only a baby. But now, he was twelve, and he'd somehow settled on blaming the government, like so many did for the senseless slaughter in Europe. The strikers were against the government, and Harold didn't like the government. So Harold was with the strikers, but that didn't mean the lack of light, the lack of heat, didn't half gnaw at him in more ways than one. They're all Tories here. Harold didn't really have a knowledge of the political system, but the terms were still clear to him. Tory means government scum. Labor means working-class soldiers. Heroes. Yeah, and you should see who's leading them. The woman still seemed perky, despite the obvious cynicism in her son. Who then? The boy's negative attitude remained staunch. Oswald Mosley. The Tory? Oh, will you pay attention, boy? He went to the independent labor years ago. It's hardly been ages in the grand scheme of things, but if a week is a long time in politics now, imagine what it was like then. This certainly piqued the boy's curiosity. He'd known Birmingham as a Tory palace, and now he was hearing that Oswald Mosley was leading a group in a revolution. He got up and followed his mother outside to see a small procession of people heading towards the city. Slowly, the numbers grew, and grew, and grew, until they finally reached the city center, and he saw his brother, a few years older than him at fifteen, and rushed over to meet him. Sam! Harold cried out. What's going on? He couldn't see over the dense crowd of people that had formed. Old Mosley's chatting up the masses, Sam seemed smug. Perhaps it was that he could see where his brother could not, or he liked to think he was above it all, which usually he did, which was a granting attitude of someone his age. He's hardly old, Mosley. He's just 29. The boy's mother had finally caught up with him. Can you give me a lift? Harold pointed to a perch on the building close by where he could get a view and hopefully hear Mosley speak. Sam was a strong boy for his age, and he had no trouble lifting his brother up to the perch. In fact, he appreciated the opportunity to show off. Harold focused his ears and began to make out the words of the violently gesticulating man. In Birmingham, too, we are one nation, one people, What happens to the man in Wales affects the man in Coventry, affects the man in Scotland, affects the man in Birmingham. We are all of us British. It is the one thing that unifies us today, as we stand, a country so starkly divided. I come here today not as a man of the establishment, as I once was, but as a man of the revolution. He sure can go on a bit, can't he? Sam interjected, breaking off Harold's intense concentration on the words the man was saying. Shh! Harold shot back aggressively at his brother. Usually, Sam wouldn't be the one to take a dismissal, especially a harsh dismissal, so lightly, but he could see the immense concentration on his brother's face. Not they who suffer the fatalities. It was not the elite was not the powerful, the rich, who gave their lives at the song. It was the common man, the common Englishman, who wanted nothing more than to serve his country. But the kleptocrats told him to do it. He must die in the heated pitch of battle. And for what? For all the sacrifice, for all the hundreds of thousands of lives lost. For every man killed by bullet or shrapnel at the front For every person killed or wounded by bomb at home, what were we rewarded with? A peace with honor. A peace with honor? Is it honorable to send all your nation's men and boys to die in the hellish, muddy fields of Europe, only for you to spit in their faces and to sell out your allies, your nation, your empire for nothing? Is that honorable? Oswald Mosley gestured to the crowd. No, the crowd swiftly retorted, Harold included. When they continue to send our men, our boys to die in the mines, their coal pits, in their factories, in their shipyards, when thousands upon thousands die for that failed war machine, I ask you, is that peace? Another gesture to the crowd from Mosley. no. The crowd shot back again. And how can it be peace? What peace means that we suffer under the rule of a king, of a ruling military elite that do not rule a single nation, but two, their own nation, their own houses, stuffed to the brims with heat, with light, with food, and our nation, the nation of the people, the nation left rationed, rationed bread, rationed light, rationed heat, And still, they send us to die in the mines and the factories for their own damned nation. I say, there can be only one nation in this Britain, and that nation is not the nation of those who look down on us in contempt. It will be the people, the millions who go to bed every night hungry and cold, as our masters look down upon us and drink their tea and sleep in their warm beds. They think they can rule us. They think a caste of a few thousand can control many millions. Well, can they? He had another gesture to the crowd. Mosley was no man of the people. He was a baronet's father, after all. But he knew how to play to a crowd. No. The crowd was played by Mosley like a beautiful orchestra made up of thousands, thousands of unified voices. He knew he didn't quite have them all totally, though. They knew who he was, a man of the aristocracy, trying to make himself a man of the people. And so he went about trying to destroy the image of status his birth would conjure up. I know these people. These rulers, these traitors, these kleptocrats. I was one of them once. I was born the eldest son of a baronet. I was once a member of the conservatives. I've seen them in action. They are no allies of the people. They don't care for the people. They care only for themselves, for their bottom lines, for their capitalist, aristocratic profits. They claim to care for the people. On the people. We've all heard what they have done in Wales. It is what they shall do in Scotland, in Ulster, and in England if we let them. When they send their lackeys to gun down the people, innocent British people, they don't rule us any longer. No, they declare war on us. They declare it so nakedly that no one can possibly miss what is happening. After this war, There will be no armistice, no peace with honor. There will be an occupation, an occupation of your homes, your children, your livelihoods. That will last a thousand years unless here, now, today, we join our comrades and declare solidarity forever. The crowd let out a deafening cheer, much to Mosley's clear pride and they all chanted in a glorious choir, Harold included, Solidarity forever. Syndicalist forces would go on to conquer the isles, the remnants of the upper classes, citizens loyal to the crown, and what was left of the army, fled, moving the capital of the British Empire and the seat of the monarchy to Ottawa, an ocean away from their homeland. But all was not well in the newly established syndicalist state. The new regime was marred by infighting between socialists looking to change the new society, orthodox syndicalists looking to safeguard the new order, and totalists looking to dominate all aspects of life and society. In 1929, the man who had led syndicalist forces to victory first chairman of the Union of Britain, was near death. Upon his death, the various factions vying for control over the country would have their chances to take power. Story 2. Death of a Statesman Tom! The dying chairman managed to barely get out of his mouth. John, the general secretary replied, shooting his friend a smile of comfort hoping beyond reason that these were not his friend's final moments. They couldn't be. The revolution needed him. He needed him. Don't you let them dare put me in Westminster Abbey. If the remark had a humorous side, it was entirely lost in the situation. Here was the man who had guided the Union since its inception, lying on a mattress, caked in his own sweat exhaustion gnawing at him, even as he lay barely moving. Of course not, John, of course not. Royalists would come out of the cupboards just to dig you up and think of the trouble for us if that happened. The general secretary again shot his friend a smile, which the chairman returned one last time. The doctor presented the cold time of death, 2.50pm On the 25th of April, 1929 One of the soldiers guarding the room poked their head in for a second. Tom Mann noticed. He was almost relieved. It momentarily gave him something to think about. Come on in, lad. Ain't nothing a traitor could do to him now. And so the soldier did come in and he looked on in total awe as the greatest man in the Union of Britain finally laid low, like they all would in time. If you don't mind my asking, sir, go on, lad. What killed him? Tom Mann sat back in his chair now, remembering the story as if it were yesterday. I'm sure you know about John's pacifism during the war. Of course, sir. Everyone did. He got sent to prison, like plenty of us Union lads did. None of us got decent treatment, but old John here, the General Secretary, had to stop. He took off his glasses for a moment and took his hands to his eyes. It was bad enough remembering what pacifists had suffered through but to know that it had killed his friend years later. That made it so much worse. It all became real to him again. No one could blame him for welling up, of course, but it hardly looked impressive. He was now the acting leader of the nation. All that pressure was on his head now. He got the living Christ beaten out of it. Not sure I saw anyone get it worse than John, although I'm sure plenty did. After all, not everyone survived. He died from those prison beatings all those years later? The soldier couldn't help ask. He had a curious mind. Old John's probably been dying for all these years. These past four certainly haven't helped. The General Secretary looked over to his deceased comrade once again. The burden he bore over the last four years as chairman. Not even that. Three years, nine months, and a few days. God, he couldn't do it, could he? What happens now? The soldier asked the question. And it bit at the General Secretary. It was all on him now. Could he handle it? He'd been General Secretary along with John this whole time but it had always been a collective responsibility. that all made a new Britain together. Maybe if John was gone, it was his time to go too. He turned to the soldier's superior, who seemed to be taking the soldier's interest better than some might expect. Where are the rest of the cabinet? Cook's in London, sir. On his way. Luckily, he was at the Exchequer when it happened. So he finished his business as quickly as he could, and is on the way here now. What about Webb? Sorry, sir. And before you ask, Mr. Citrin is in Scotland. We shouldn't expect we will be seeing him for some time. Both the Home Secretary and Foreign Secretary were outside London. The Foreign Secretary, a day's travel away. At least Tom knew that most of the minor cabinet was still in London. I see. The general secretary had to think now. He might as well be absolute ruler until the cabinet reconvened. I'm not sure if I can go on in this job without him, you know? Will you take the position of acting chairman, sir? The officer asked. No, the position is to remain vacant, the general secretary thought for a moment. I'll ask the cabinet to convene a Congress of the trade unions to replace him. Well, as I said, sir, many members of the cabinet will not be here for some time. It only needs a simple majority. I don't care if Sydney or anyone else isn't there for it. A simple majority is all we need, and no one in their right mind will oppose it. Unless they want you to take over. This time, the voice of the soldier peeped up. He appeared to be quite surprised with himself that he had actually said it. The General Secretary smiled, though. If they do, then I will resign, and then they will be left with a considerably worse mess to deal with. The General Secretary got up, feeling an enormous weight lifted from his shoulders. He looked to his friend another time before eventually taking his eyes away. I should be here by the door, for when Cook gets here, I don't want the first thing he sees when he gets here is a chap with a gun. No offense, of course. None taken, sir, the officer replied. Tom Mann began leaving the room before pausing and gesturing back to the soldier. What's your name, soldier? Blair, sir. Corporal Blair. Blair, he gestured for a Christian name. Eric Blair, sir. Well, you'd best come with me, Corporal Blair. Blair would go on to make a prominent name for himself. And the Congress of Trade Unions would manage to keep the growing divisions in the syndicalist movement under control, but only for a time. Soon enough, those divisions would come roaring back to life, putting the future of the British Isles into the hands of only a few men. All the while, the Canadian government continued to arm itself, now having absorbed the vast number of refugees. And integrated the Royal Navy into a growing fleet. The Union would not be left alone forever. These stories were written by user C.D. Aquara. Learn more about the Kaiserreich universe on R slash Kaiserreich through the Hearts of Iron 4 Steam mod page, Kaiserreich, or on the Kaiserreich wiki. This has been Northern Knight Story Exchange. If you want to see your story featured on the podcast, or find additional content associated with the podcast, please visit northernknightpublishing.com. We would love to hear your stories, and hopefully turn them into more episodes of the Northern Night Story Exchange. Thank you for listening.